Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. The Brighter Side is brought to you by Audible.com. Go to audibletrial.com slash brighterside for your free trial. You make money. Okay. I work hard. I work hard. He's a factory. You cut your fucking fingers off every day. Oh, I cut my fingers off. That's such a good job. Thank you. Here you go. Here's five fucking cents. Five cents? Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Mr. Man. <laughs> We're talking about greed. You yeah. know, we're getting greedy over here. It's a Seven Deadly Sins. Amber, make a noise for Seven Deadly Sins. Woo, 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 woo. We are in trouble seven different ways. Today is greed. Mm. Absolutely. Greed is can be a good thing. I think it can be a very good thing. Um, you When you want something and you want a lot of it, you also uh, put your mind at work and you fucking go do it. Give you, know? you some goddamn motivation. Absolutely. I got out of Louisiana. You you cannot be a nice person getting out of Louisiana. You got to be a little bit selfish and vicious, and honestly. You, and if you want to succeed, really, there's got to be a little bit of greed in you. Mm-hmm. There has to be some in you. Absolutely. Well, later, bet we're about to start talking to Mr. Pastrami. Is a very, uh, very exciting time, and uh, we uh, we may or may not unmask his identity today. Oh. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Is he Jewish or not? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a given. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Mr. Pastrami, and he likes money. Okay, okay, okay. Putting two and two together. All right, all right, take it away, Mr. Pastrami. 
right, we're the brighter side, and this is part of our seven deadly sins of greed. Yeah, give me that money, you stinky, stinky cash. Money, 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 money. Andrew Jackson was a hero. Just kidding, he was a murderer. Make it rain on that ass. You're in prison. (laughs) And joining us is Mr. Pastrami, and we get to unmask him today. Give it up for my friend, since I was six years old, maybe five, David Weishouse. How you doing, buddy? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for unmasking me. It's been a big mystery, Pastrami, two years deep, but it's it's me. Three years deep. Three years deep. Yeah, you, like, pulled my face off into Scooby-Doo, right? Like the (laughs) Scooby-Doo ending. You, you have been such a great, powerful voice and inspiration to us in both the business field and the social field of the political arena as well. We're talking about greed, and, mis- and I keep wanting to say Mr. Pastrami. Dave, you went through some tough things. Now, whether it was about greed or not, you got caught up in the system in some way that, that I think we all, that frustrated all of us, and I think you especially. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what had happened to you and where you are now, or is that something you want to stay away from? No, now that you guys frame it in that context, this is the perfect intro to like, yeah, to just understand a little bit more about greed and the way things played out and what kind of occurred. I would love to. I would love to tell you guys pretty much the story, yeah, or at least some small part of it. Give you like the ten minute Reader's Digest version. That would Please, be great. That's exactly we would love what that. We need. Yeah. So, uh, cut me off if it gets too long winded or it's just not entertaining or interesting. But um, I got picked up in two thousand nine. I got a hot stock tip. I worked on Wall Street starting in two thousand seven, and I did really well. I was a twenty seven year old kid. Uh, right on Park Avenue, sweet office, little apartment, and started out at the bottom and worked on commissions and got a very, very, you know, base salary. And they give you a phone and a Rolodex and they say, go out there. Yeah. And uh, that's Wall Street, you know. And if you're good and you're, you know, and you hustle and you put yourself out there and you meet and contact enough people and you network and you can relate and connect with clients. You'll do super well. And what I did was in 2007, and I had a background in emerging markets, uh, so China specifically. I spent a lot of time in Asia and a lot of time in China. You love and China. I love China. But now I hate them, and I'll talk about that. But um, <laughs> I hate them in a loving way. They're like my home. You know, I could feel contempt for family members, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah I, have, I have a lot of hard and strong opinions on fucking China and all the things that they're pulling right now, but that's something else. So the real story was uh, got involved in stockbroking and it was right in the middle of the financial crisis, 2007, 2008. So this is the Lehman Brothers going bankrupt. This is countrywide in the mortgage scandal. This is Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Bear Bear Stearns went under. Everybody, uh, Wells Wells Fargo acquired, um, what was it, M&T Bank? Yeah. M&T Bank, one of the largest issuers of mortgage, they folded and Wells Fargo acquired them. So this is as the liquidity in the, in the, in the stock market's drying up and all the credit markets is drying up. We're about to have this crazy period of deflation where basically deflation is like the scariest shit ever because that literally means that the lending supply nobody gets a loan and everybody goes out of business. So anybody operating a business on credit it just stops. And that's what we experienced. So I'm joining Wall Street literally at this moment while people are jumping out of windows, losing their life fortune. And I'm betting that the real estate market is going to go down. 
which was like exactly what happened. I'm betting that gold and commodities and emerging market economies are going to become the future, yeah. which they were. Brazil, Russia, India, China, the BRIC countries. And, and everything that I was doing was so spot on. And all of a sudden, and I'm not boasting because I'm telling you I'm making less than 20 bucks an hour as I sit here talking to you guys today, but all of a sudden you have a 27-year-old kid making $50,000 a month checks because I was betting on everything right, literally millions of dollars coming in and out for anybody that wanted to hedge against the disaster that was going on in the financial world while everyone's saying buy more stocks, buy more real estate. And I'm like, no, fuck that. That is absurd. Let's hedge our bet. The U.S. dollar is going down. The U.S. economy's in the tanks. We're about to experience this crazy period of deflation. Get the fuck out of America. Buy somewhere else. And everything I touched just was perfect. I remember so you now bought I, a silver mine at one point. I bought a silver mine. I literally... <laughs> I, 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 I went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I hired a geologist from Texas, flew the fucking guy up to Idaho with me, and I went 4,000 feet into the ground and looked, and I was like, there's silver in here, I'll take it, just to make sure. And I looked at the geologist, I was like, are you sure this is silver? He's like, that's silver. I was like, we'll buy it. And... <laughs> And, and and that was and, and it was and it worked because I was buying silver at you know five six seven dollars and that shit if you remember went all the way up to twenty five dollars an ounce you had gold at six seven eight hundred dollars going up to nineteen hundred dollars an ounce I think it briefly broke two thousand for a couple of days here and there so I was buying all of these inflationary hedges and all these quote safe haven investment vehicles. And I'm a 27-year-old kid making a half a million dollars a year just at this one job, you know, which and I had other, you know, things going on. So, I mean, it was just nuts how quickly and how fast you could make money. But to get back to the thing that actually got me in trouble and how the political climate kind of came full circle where it was like this mob mentality of, of Occupy Wall Street, you know. So I got a hot tip from a friend who heard from a guy who heard from a guy and uh, the long and the short of it is I actually traded on inside information. Mm. I heard from my friend who heard from a guy who heard from God knows where and I never found out until I actually, I got federally indicted. I got indicted. They actually What does that entail? Getting indicted? Yeah. Oh man. A bunch of nasty emails. (laughs) Yeah. Worse. I wish it was nasty emo. They actually, the the FBI and 10 Baltimore City police officers showed up. They were casing my house and business in Baltimore for two days and followed me home at four in the morning when I closed down my bar, cleaned up, swept, got the bar set for the night, 4 4 a.m. I'm home. I just took a sleeping pill like a Salmonex or Benadryl. I don't remember what it was. And I remember just drifting off. And the next thing I remember is, Boom, 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 boom. On my front door. FBI, wake up. FBI, open the door. FBI. And I'm like, huh? What? And they had a key. They actually had a key to my apartment. What? And it was, yeah. They subpoenaed uh, a key. They had a summons, a warrant for my arrest. They gave it to my my property manager. Oh. Property manager's like, it's the fucking FBI. We're not arguing. Go ahead. Go get this motherfucker. And they storm in. And I'm halfway down the hallway. This is a white-collar crime. I had an inside tip if this was anything. And by the way, I didn't do anything. But they had they sent about a dozen officers. They sent four FBI agents and eight local 
guys to just drag me out of my house in my boxer shorts at 6 18 a.m and kept me in a jail cell they didn't let you put pants on they let me pee while somebody watched which was insane and uh they i was in a pair of mesh shorts and a miami heat hoodie that they cut they cut the drawstring off of in case i tried to like use it as a weapon i don't know and kill myself over the whole scenario but that was it so that was them roughing me up and then i get out at the end of the day and i was like what gives and they're like you traded on inside information i was like i know i told everybody i got an actual hot tip and they're like has this ever happened to you before and i was like yes 99 times this has happened to me and the information was never accurate could i have all my money back for all the time that i fucking brought a hot tip and the goddamn thing didn't pan out and the one time it pans out you guys are gonna throw me in jail now the guy that i heard it from made two thousand dollars made two thousand dollars they put him in jail also grabbed him simultaneously he was living in denver colorado so they picked everybody up on the same day orchestrated it threw everybody in jail to shake us out and this um, whole thing was for less than five thousand dollars all in no he made two thousand i made a hundred oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i made a hundred and um yeah i mean but it was nuts it was all nuts and i said listen if you guys want the money back take it back i said what do i do and they said well where'd you hear it from and i said well i heard it from this guy and they said where'd you hear if he heard from i was like i don't know ask him but he told me he heard it from his roommate and his roommate had nothing to do with the situation so as far as i knew it was a rumor that became true Long and the short of it is, they knew the entire time every single bit of the information that was out there. And they knew that legally they didn't have a case against me. But here's what was going on. Here's the political climate. It's 2008. You got people burning signs down in Battery Park. You got guys protesting. Fuck Occupy Wall Street. Fuck Wall Street. The banks are are ruining the country. You got people getting foreclosed and kicked out of their homes. You got mortgage brokers that are fudging documents to give more loans out to sell more houses because they're getting three to five thousand dollars for every mortgage that they write. Everybody was in on it. You want to hear the worst? You got the credit rating agencies. You got the S&P Standard and Poor's. You got Fitch. These are the credit rating agencies that go in there and take these pools of mortgages and look at them and say, oh, yeah, these are A-rated. The chances of the likelihood that these mortgages will be paid, very high. And they didn't mark anything but very high because they got a fee from the banks that were asking them to package it together. Everybody was in on the take from the banks that were lending the money to credit rating agencies all the way down to the brokers in the, in, you know, on the floor traveling around America signing up a cab driver that's got four investment properties probably making $32,000 a year. And this guy's got four houses and one on the Jersey Shore. And you're like, how? Because everybody was getting a piece. Now, look back, and in history from 2008, there's been one prosecution of mortgage fraud. One prosecution. One guy. I'm talking that guy. The whole crisis, the whole 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 country going down the tubes, no one having jobs anymore. I'm talking tens of thousands of jobs, people kicked out of their homes, foreclosed, everybody stealing and scamming out the ash. Do you remember that guy, Angelo? 
Angelo Max. Look this guy up. Look up Countrywide. Yeah, that guy. Countrywide CEO. Oh, my God. You give Angelo Mozilla with the bronzer. Oh, you're going to love oh, this. Oh, that Ed. guy's yeah, so that's, gross. That's, Jesus. He's, that's yeah. a white man? You yeah, give that guy the head of... This guy was giving loans to people in Congress at 0% interest. How about unethical is that? Yeah. Just so the regulators wouldn't look at him. This guy never got charged. This guy ran a $30 billion company into the ground on purpose, making $100 million a year for himself, not one ounce and was it the only the the person that did get prosecuted for that mortgage thing? Wasn't it like a like an old like Chinatown guy that was it, it was and he actually was forging yeah. hundreds of mortgage <laughs> documents like rubber stamping them and undeniably doing wrong. The yeah. only guy, the He's only guy that ever got charged. <laughs> so, so he I deserved it. Well, he, but I mean, if somebody did something wrong, they just so went I, for the easy. They went for such an easy win on such a small time criminal yeah in this space that it, it was just nothing short of like this pathetic band-aid on a crisis that was spewing out blood from a carotid artery so this That's, angelo mozillo guy what's he up to now is he just living the good life somewhere chilling guy cashed out with 250 million dollars he's got to be in europe in switzerland hanging out in monaco on a boat laughing his fucking tan ass off right now Very well tan. i'm <laughs> Very tan. But I bring up I bring up the mortgage crisis because this just came out. The segue between my insider trading and the fact that the mortgages was a huge scandal was because they knew that all the culpability in the mortgages, they couldn't go after these guys. They couldn't go after uh, who's the head of AIG? That guy, Hank Green. Uh, Greenbaum. The head yeah. of it. Great. Yeah, it was, this guy's got to be in his late 80s, head of AIG. This guy bankrupted one of the largest companies. Greenberg. Greenberg Hank yeah. Greenberg. They talked about indicting him. Everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this guy let this go yeah. for all the mortgage fraud. Then one day it just disappears. They couldn't touch any of these top dudes. But what they could do, what is a gray area and what they wanted to revisit was insider trading. So they literally said, we're not going to prosecute mortgage fraud because we just, we can't politically. But we can go after insider trading. And that's when Preet Bahara, the head of the prosecutor's department of the Southern District of New York, this is Giuliani's old job. So you go on to become the mayor, a presidential candidate. It's a very high profile political position to be the, the Southern District of New York prosecutor. Yeah. So Preet Bahara goes out there and says, I'm going on a tear. And he goes, we're arresting people for insider trading. And he lines up 89 people and gets guilty convictions from 2008 all the way through to 2012. I'm number 90. And my buddy who gave me the tip was number 91. Wow. And Damn. he was 89 and 0. Grabs me out of my house at 6 in the morning. Grabs him at his office. Marches him out Wall Street style in oh, handcuffs. shit. From his fucking law office in Denver, Colorado. And I'm, I'm number 90. He's 91. And they basically knew from the very beginning that I did not commit a crime. They had text messages. They knew the entire time where the original source was. They kept pressuring me, tell us where the source is. Tell us who the source is. Where did you hear it from? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I couldn't hire a private investigator to figure it out. You're the cops. You go figure it out. They knew full well that what I did was not a crime. But I was one guy. I'm the peon. You know, I made $100,000. It's not a little bit of money. That's a lot of money. And it looked bad. And my buddy, who also got pinched, number 90, 
91, made $2,000, and they threatened me with 65 years in federal jail and to make me a, a federal felon. Literally, it makes me a felon for the rest of my life. I wouldn't be able to vote. I couldn't buy a gun. I would have to disclose that on every job application for the rest of my life. And the most absurd part was that they knew that what my conduct was was not illegal. But they said, well, we can't go after mortgages. We need to make this high profile. We need to show that we're taking some action. So we're going to go mess up anybody we could on Wall Street that was a young kid making a bunch of money, and we're going to make an example. And they were 91-0. and until a federal judge looked at me in court, I think Eddie was there. I was there. And says, what the fuck are you doing to this kid? (laughs) (laughs) And Eddie was there. And he literally went down a list because when you plead guilty to a crime, and I finally said, listen, hat in hand, tears in my eyes, and I'm sitting in this room. Two and a half, three years into this whole thing. Two and a half, three years in, hundreds of thousands of dollars, bankrupting my father's retirement account, any money I ever owned. I was only in the labor force for two and a half, three years before they plucked my ass out and put me in this situation. And I put myself in that situation to make myself vulnerable to it. I'm not trying to make excuses, but you know, I stepped in shit and I couldn't get out of it. And I walked in there and I said, listen, if you guys want me to be guilty, I guess I'm guilty. And just tell me what I have to say to this federal judge. You want me to lie to a federal judge? That came out of my mouth. And I'm sitting in a room with two SEC attorneys, two federal prosecutors, my attorney, uh, a couple of interns taking notes, and one of those guys, the stenographer. Stenographer, yeah. And the guy that picked you up from the FBI, too, right? Yes, yes, yes. Mr. Burns. I hope he hears this. (laughs) Mr. Burns. I'll never forget this guy. Uh, The tiniest, cutest little man. And I never had any ill will towards any of these people. And I just said, listen... If I'm going to lie, and I said this, and this is in confidence to all these people, I said, if you want me to lie and say I did something wrong, you have to tell me how to do that. Because before you could be guilty, there's elements of a crime. There's four elements of a crime. You have to say yes to every one of those elements. So I stood up and he said, David, did you know that this was material, non-public information? And I was like, no, how could I? (laughs) He's like, what? Well, that's not what you were supposed to say. You're supposed to say, yes, you know, I did know that. And I said, well, no, I didn't. And everybody knows I did it. And they proved that I did it. And then the, the, the lawyer, the prosecutor stands up and this is all in transcripts. I mean, anybody can review this, Eddie, I'll send it to you. Yeah. I have every single one of these. And the lawyer stands up and says, your honor, excuse us, your honor, our theory on insider trading, and this is verbatim, I'll never forget this, is slightly esoteric and highly unusual. He called the theory that they're trying to put me in jail for 65 years highly unusual <laughs> and slightly esoteric. You fucking really want to ruin somebody's life over highly unusual and, and slightly esoteric? And I was like, I was like, what the fuck? And the judge is like, well, listen, son. He's like, you either knew these elements or you didn't, and you guys got to get your ducks in a row if you're going to try to be guilty in my courtroom. He goes, I'm going to give you a week to talk this out and come back. Brings in another guy who was in my boat who also heard the information. He stands up and he says, well, I'm going to go through these elements of a crime. Starts with number one. Well, did you know? And he goes, well, no. Of course I didn't know that. And you all know that. And the judge is like shaking his head. He says, what the fuck are we 
doing here? <laughs> if every one of you is going to come in here and say you're guilty and then deny the elements of the crime. And I said, well, okay, then I did know. And like, okay. He's like, well, how the fuck did you? He's like, you can't do that. And I'm sitting there. This goes on. And finally, the judge says, it is confirmed. And I know that you guys didn't know. And I know that you could have never committed this crime. And how dare you, Preet Bahara? And how dare you, prosecutor guy? And get the fuck out of my courtroom because this is ridiculous. And yeah. stop strong arming people. Into, and, and this was me versus City Hall, man. And Eddie was there. Sense. I was there. When you walk into these buildings, yeah, I know. They are fucking huge. You like, I mean, you see them on TV and you don't realize, but the giant columns and the granite everywhere. 50 foot ceilings. It's fucking yeah. terrifying, yeah. man. A it's giant. insane. You remember that 30-foot statue of Lady Liberty, blind, balancing the scales, leaning forward, it's, looking at you? That's that's in there. It is the courthouse from in Wall Street. It is the biggest place. It is insane. So, yeah, that was my story, and, and that was my he, and One thing you did miss is, like, he actually changed your, vert, your plea to not guilty. The yeah. judge did. The judge said, yeah. "You, I'm erasing your guilty plea. You're now pleading not guilty." And then, then we went from there. I remember being in there when it was all going down. He was yelling. He was practically yelling at the prosecutors. It was great to watch. And you had this little pipsqueak kid. Oh my God! You know, I had a chat message, and I, this sounds terrible taken out of context, but I had a chat message. I remember the prosecutor kid. They put him on there. He was a Harvard graduate, uh, African American kid. 29 years old they gave him this case because it was dog shit and nobody else in the prosecutor's office wanted to touch it it got bounced i got bounced from like three or four different prosecutors everybody saw the facts and they're like eh, eh, maybe this is a little bit too far right and they're 89 and 0 and they gave it to this one kid and this kid had the gall to stand up before the judge eddie was there and start arguing the theory that they're trying to propose and the judge is saying are you son again calling this guy son he's like son are you trying to say this is to the prosecutor that in fact your brand new unilaterally made up theory is going to trump the united states congress and the united <laughs> states supreme court dating back to 1980 when we define the four elements of insider trading and the kid kept arguing to the point where the head of the Securities law division had to go up and tap him on the shoulder and said, "Don't say anymore. We got to." Yeah, literally whispered in his we ear need to leave. <laughs> whispered in his ear, "Just stop making this worse. This judge is getting more pissed." And sit down. And you know, everybody shook my hand at the end, which was really kind of odd. That's you know, all weird. these people that were trying to yeah. ruin my life. They all shook my hand except for that one little bitch kid. <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm gonna call his name out, Damian Williams. Damien Williams from the U.S. Prosecutor's Office. Fuck you, too. Yeah, fuck you, Damien, you cocksucker. Fuck you, too, Damien Williams. And, oh, and you know he what, does Pre look like a jackass. He is a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah, that kid's a piece of shit. Didn't shake my hand. Everybody else kind of half said they were sorry. Nobody really said they were sorry. But this Damien Williams. And and you know what happened? I was, I was chatting with Tom, and they read everything. By the way, I want you all to know that are listening to this. Everything that you do is forever on the internet, yeah. whether it's your text messages. And I know that everybody tells you that, 
but I'm not joking. I'm talking your AOL instant message, this Skype, anything I'm typing to you, anything ever done on text, it's all saved. So I had a text where I was going up and back and we were, I referred to a girl as a bitch. I referred to a girl, I was like, did you call that bitch? Or something like that. And this guy, Damian Williams, looks at me while he's interrogating me. This is before I went in there. And he goes, are you a misogynist? Do you hate women? Oh. And I'm like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything, man? I was like, I love my mother. I have a beautiful sister. I have a ton of respect. I have a great relationship with girlfriend. Did you cheat on your girlfriend? I'm like, what? I was like, where am I? I thought I was in Mexico. Literally, I should have been in Mexico. <laughs> but it was Damian Williams running the show until he embarrassed himself and the entire United States prosecutor's office by coming up with some nuts theory. And what happened was that 91-0 record went back to 89 and 89 down to 82 all got reversed also. Wow. And the domino effect started falling. And this was all because they needed to make a show. They needed to respond to public opinion. They needed to take some sort of action to appease the masses with people protesting. But they didn't do it in the right place. They didn't go after a single bank. They didn't go after a single official. And they took a kid who they had all the evidence in the world, did nothing wrong, and strung him up and ruined my reputation, my family name, embarrassed my mother, my father, everything. Yeah, what I find interesting, though, is that it's the greed really wasn't on... Uh, you weren't the greedy one here, really. I mean, just in the general sense of what it is to make money could be viewed as greedy, but really it was the prosecutor's office that really turned out to be the most greedy and the sinful one of, of the greedy ones. Yeah, just trying to get the most uh, prosecutions done without... Yeah. Pump up those numbers so that we don't look so bad anymore. When in actuality, you know, when you're looking at it, they they needed to go after CEOs. They weren't allowed to. And so they just went and grabbed a bunch of people who stole a little bit. It's of the same argument for the war. <laughs> it's the same argument for the war on drugs. You go after the corner dealers or you go after these small time guys, but you don't have to go ever go after the big pharmaceutical companies that are pushing Oxycontin on America. You don't yeah. go after these giant conglomerates or anyone that's in a position of power that's really profiting off the deaths of, pe of people in America. Who are some of these CEOs that should have been taken down? Do you know anything about that? I mean, Angelo at Countrywide was one. I mean, he was one of the biggest horse thieves that just walked scot-free. Who's you know, the, the Tyco guy you were telling me about? So they actually took him down. That's Dennis Kozlowski. Well, he, and he went down in a lot of the Enron stuff around that time, right? He went down with the Enron guys, Jeffrey Skilling, and a lot of those big Ponzi scheme guys. This is all around the Bernie Madoff. This was post-Enron. But, yeah, Dennis Klozowski, if you want to talk about CEOs and, like, crazy compensation, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for a CEO to work at Hewlett-Packard for a year and a half, do nothing frankly, historical or major to advance the company and then cash out with a parachute windfall of $150 million. Thanks for the 18 months you did, Dick. The board doesn't like you anymore. That's your buyout. $150 million was what he was given when he was fired? I think it was a... It was, who's the latest person hey man, to leave Hewlett-Packard? fail up. That's the thing that happens in this country. That's insane. Yeah. Every time I ever fired somebody, I, like, ruined their life. Yeah, they couldn't no, afford the abortion. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, yeah, Dennis Kozowski is one of the epitomes of greed. He was famous for the $6,000 shower curtain. He had a $1 million birthday party at his $20 million house right here in Boca Raton in the sanctuary on this waterfront estate. God he put damn. a he put a $25,000 marble toilet with a gold toilet seat. Oh, oh my Lord. So yeah. He's literally shitting on gold into marble. Yeah. That's yeah. worse than, like, Julius Caesar. That's yeah, this guy was Julius Caesar in his own right. I would, I would get the gold toilet seat and just hang it on the wall. I would shit on it. I'd be like, that's I got that custom made. It's on the wall. And, Eddie, if I could say one last thing about my situation, and then we'll just talk about it. But if... Doing what happened to me changed the system. If stringing me up and drawing attention to the, you know, the marketplace and the injustice and the crazy salaries and all the money that could be made did anything infrastructurally to make that basically one-sided, very, very cash-heavy, uh, you know, elitist one percent of one percent, you know, situation system better. I would have actually had a much easier time dealing with it. If Okay, fine. I had to be the martyr. You're going to drop me to make something better. You're going to take me down to make the system whole, to make everything equitable. Okay. But that's not at all what happened. They skipped over every one of these guys that, that ran. Okay, I got another one for you. How about this guy, uh, John Thames? He was the old CEO. John Thame? John Thame. Look at this punk. The head of Merrill Lynch. And he goes into the room with the Bank America guy, Ken Lewis, and John Thane, Ken Lewis, you got John Paulson at the time, the Treasury Secretary, and John Thane knows that his $20 billion company, Merrill Lynch, is totally insolvent and that this company should just die. But he goes in there with a straight poker face and he tells Ken Lewis at Bank America, buy my company at pennies on the dollar, absorb us, Take this liability, give us an influx of cash, and uh, you won't regret it. Well, six months later, the paint peels, and they find out that Merrill Lynch is a pile of shit and that there was nothing there to it, and he basically ripped off every single one of the investors at Bank of America who now just bought this bullshit debt. And basically, anybody that owns stock or was a shareholder in Bank of America just got sold the worst bill of goods from John Thame. And you know what his, you know what his compensation package was? Oh. $100 million in a $2 million office that he decorated in 2009 with unemployment skyrocketing. This guy decorates his new fucking office at Bank of America with $2 million worth of art. An article gets written in the New York Times how it's distasteful, and then he sells the art. Oh, so he just got $2 million. $2 million. Okay, you don't want that on the wall? That looks bad now? Oh, is that bad press to have a $2 million office? John Thame over at Merrill Lynch? Fuck you too, John Thame. God. What about uh, Jamie Diamond? Okay, that's a cool. J.P. Morgan. Yeah, that's it. That's an interesting character. So J.B. Diamond is the slickest of the slick. Yeah. Did he um, change his last name to Diamond? I don't know. No, oh, it's Diamond. Oh. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's Diamond. <laughs> it's not Diamond. It's D-I-M-O-N. Yeah. Jamie Diamond. How could you not um, trust Jamie Diamond? <laughs> uh, Jamie Diamond, uh, another guy that's making $100 million a year. Now, listen. I have no problem compensating, at least in my opinion. I don't think that somebody that creates billions of dollars of value 
for their shareholders if he's the best, if he's the best of the best, and I'm looking to hire a boss to run my company, pay him, pay him handsomely, you know, and pay him handsomely because if you don't, somebody else is, and they're going to eat your lunch. And that's how competitive it is. So look, these companies are giving out hundreds of millions of dollars, but they're making billions of dollars. And then we can go off on a whole nother tangent about corporate greed. Like who the fuck benefits from Apple having a hundred billion dollars yeah. in cash in the bank. Great. Good for you, Apple. What is Apple? It's a goddamn legal document filed in Delaware with cash. That's not helping society. That's not giving you a raise, Eddie. That's not putting the minimum wage up for people that are at the very bottom or, or making college tuition cheaper or making parks better or creating a, a health care for people that deserve it. No, Apple gets to keep $100 billion in offshore non-taxable uh, fucking income because they didn't want to bring it into America. Are you kidding? That's legal? That's okay? So, I mean, you know, I mean, t talk about that. So, you know, some of these CEOs, while it's abusive, you know, if you're a, a guy that's worth his salt, like Jamie Dimon, who's been a, a true leader, who's a true badass, who's a guy who creates value that weathers storms that has connections and know-how. I don't have a problem paying that guy top dollar. And if that's tens of millions of dollars, do it. And I'll tell you something else, a guy like Jamie Dimon, and I don't know exactly this. I mean, double check the facts, but this was a guy that, when shit was going south in 2009, 2010, and the bank was losing and writing off billions of dollars in losses, I think he was one of the guys that said, I'm gonna stay on and make a dollar. He was one of those CEOs that said, you know what, I'm gonna stay on and make a dollar. You know who else did that Lloyd Blank fine over yeah. at Goldman Sachs? Yeah, that's, yep. He said, you know what, fine, I don't give a shit. He's I got already filthy rich, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, like, I got also the one that, that did the Bear Stearns deal. He's the one that was just like, uh, I'll take it, fine. I'll, he's like, fine. you want me to take it, I'll take it. Ken Lewis, you take Merrill Lynch, I'll yeah. buy Bear Stearns, you buy this guy, we'll all buy somebody and we'll share it. I mean, this is a backroom dealing that if you think about it, was not fair to the Morgan Stanley investors, was not fair to the Bank America investors. They should not have known and bought this shit. But then every time John Fame said, oh, we sold Merrill Lynch, we staved off bankruptcy, we could have been the, neg, the, the, the next Lehman Brothers, but we weren't. So reward me for saving your sinking, dying, insolvent company and give me a $100 million compensation package for brokering a company that I ran into the ground back in 2008, 2009, but then tricked all the other people at the banks and strong-armed and harangued them into saying, yeah, purchase me, acquire me, and let's not have another failure and another loss of capital and keep the credit markets open. I mean, that's pretty fucking nuts. Yeah. Yeah. God oh, damn. Jeez, it's like you emotional. You just gave us so much information. <laughs> There's so and then much. They, and then they come after me. But same. So what, where do we go from here? Do you see, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I just bought my condo and I got a mortgage. Okay. And I tell you what, when I went through this process, the thing I kept saying to myself and to my friends and my brother especially, I said, this mortgage market is still a sham. There is no reason I should have ever gotten a mortgage. There is no reason with the student loans that I have that are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt I, I owe to the federal government. There's no reason that they should have given me a mortgage. But you know, the one person that always said I'd be able to get it was my mother. 
She said, see that? <laughs> this is America. You, they give you mortgage. <laughs> Anybody gets a loan in America. And this, this place, and if you look at the Super Bowl commercial, the Quicken loan, yeah. they, from an app on your mobile phone, you push a button to get a mortgage, uh, get a loan for a mortgage. That is unconscionable. It is unreal that we actually haven't changed one bit when it comes to our financial sector. That's insane. I mean, that's scary because that's the whisper that's out there. Are we in another bubble? Are I mean, we I've literally heard, in another I've bubble? I've been hearing that, that it's going to happen all again. What do you think the chances of that happening? I mean, we're almost eight, we're eight years out of it. So that's like a twofold question. So a lot of people say that like the real estate cycle moves in 10 year, 25 and 50 year you know, patterns of up and down and up and down. So the real question is, where are we in the cycle? Where are we with the credit market? I mean, John just told you that he was fucking able to get a loan. So money is still flowing, it, whether he should have been qualified or not. It is the the mortgage, the, the housing formations are up to 2007 levels. Uh, housing prices are going back up to near uh, uh, 2007 levels. I mean, it's all back to where we were before. Now, what about, uh, not to get too into the movies here, but I was watching Big Short, and it seems like we've gone over a lot of things that happened in that movie. Um, what about at the very end when they said that the guy who discovered all this is now putting all his money into water? Is that... Yeah, uh, the water, right? Oh, yeah, Mike so, Berry. Yeah. Yeah. So I never saw the movie because those movies give me anxiety now after everything. I remember going to the movies with David on Christmas Eve, drunk and stoned out of our minds, and we went to go see Wolf of Wall Street because Henry was in it, and he had like a panic attack in the theater. <laughs> I, I walked outside and got air two times because just watching that shit go down made me. And I was in. The, I was on. I was on one million dollars bail, sitting with Eddie in New Jersey, fucking with his mother on Christmas Eve, and I'm just like. I can't believe this. I'm watching this on big screen go down in somebody else's life. Now, those guys were criminals and they were yeah. scumbags. But um, I didn't watch the end of Big Short. But yeah, that that fella Barry, who is now in water rights. I mean, these guys are visionaries. These guys are guys that are super perceptive, that they look at uh, an what is an obvious irregularity in a market. They uh, Just like you said, Cena, you're like, how the fuck did you guys just give me a loan for how many hundreds of thousands of dollars for a house? And I may or may not be qualified. That's a risk. Yeah. Why is that here? And these guys are on the ground floor. They're super perceptive. And they're like, something is out of whack. There is no equilibrium in this market. Something has to tip. And water has been something that people have been talking about for, for decades now. And water rights and who controls water and, uh, you know, the underground. It's... It's a gamble. Farmland, you know, resources. What are commodities? What are things that who gives a shit what a paper dollar is? You know, that's that's the full faith and credit of the United States of America. What the fuck is the full faith and credit of the United States of America? I don't know what that means. That's not going to feed me when I'm hungry. Yeah. A dollar bill. I want food. That's not going to give me a house with a walls and a, and a door. I need I need a you know real estate. I need commodities, and water is one of those commodities that these kind of guys are perceptive enough to say this is scarce, this is limited, this is super desirable. And when the shit hits the fan, let's put our money in that as an investment vehicle. And and what happens now when every like municipality across the country starts checking their water like Flint did and yeah. starts seeing that it's all filled with fucking lead? What are they going to do? They got to go get water from someplace. 
And who's responsible for that? You know somebody's profiting off of this. Somebody yeah. didn't want to pony up. Somebody didn't want to say we got to change these pipes or do this extra testing and you know cut a couple of bucks so some contractor can make a few extra dollars or somebody could have another project and not a project that was absolutely necessary, like giving good, healthy, non-lead-ridden water to Flint. Yeah. And, you know, who's responsible for that? Why aren't they stringing that guy up? I remember the chick leading uh, the fight against uh, Flint in the water investigation was murdered in her own home. Somebody she, had, you know, really? somebody. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a big news story, but look it up real quick. But it was, it was she was killed in her own home in the middle of this whole fucking fight. Yeah, Flintwater murders, more than one. Damn. I mean, and that's that's when that's when yeah, slain in twin killing. That is yeah, not yeah, long ago. Sasha Ivana Bell. You know, so it's just like it's crazy. What, what, she, what? she filed a lawsuit and then she was found dead in her home. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That this woman was trying to investigate who may or may not have been responsible for it. And I guarantee you, as the layers peel away, you're going to see the greed. You're going to see the money. You're going to follow the trail of money, and you're going to figure out who had something to gain from it. No. And they're not going to go after the people necessarily responsible. Who knows? You know, that's not the way you know life works. Sometimes yeah. shit gets twisted. We really, we went in deep here, and I really appreciate you, Dave, Mr. Pastrami, coming in and really explaining stuff to us on a simple level, because I know nothing, and I feel like I actually learned a lot today listening to you. You just pissed me off even more, Dave, so it just upset <laughs> me more about the system. So, but we are the brighter side. We are a cynic's look at optimism. Yeah. Uh, and so what is what is good about greed? You know, what, why did Gordon Gecko scream uh, greed is good? Uh, what can you say about it? What can you say about the human aspect of greed? What that fuels us all? I mean, you know, you want to, you know, I, I greedy. We're all greedy. I want the best things that I can. I was looking at 50-inch televisions yesterday, you know, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> what do we... I mean, I mean, you, we could get into some political and economic viewpoints of like capitalism, you know, at the very heart of this strongest survives. Do you want, you know, a socialist society where, you know, everybody's getting a handout mm -hmm. and people are not incentivized? Uh, but if you dangle the proverbial carrot and you offer people more money to push forward and you say the more you more money you make, the more 50 inch televisions you could buy, Eddie. Now, do you want to give half of your money away to taxes or, or three quarters or I mean, you know, and there's nothing wrong ideologically. You know, I, I love it if that worked. I love if Stalinist Russia worked or if communist China really was what it's supposed to be, this utopian society where, you know what, I don't need a 50-inch TV, Ed. You're totally fine with a 24-inch TV and maybe a couple of antennas. You don't need Netflix. You got basic cable, you know? And, and, and But the difference is, that isn't human nature. That's not Thomas Hobbes and, you know, you know, the social contract that we entered into when we have a government. We say, look, in a capitalist society, and I think what the takeaway is, look, you want to come to America and you want to go get an education, you want to work hard, it's there for you. And if you want to push harder than other people that don't, well, then you could get ahead and you could have the finer things. And maybe that's right, maybe that's wrong, but that is literally the only proven governmental economic society system out there, excuse me, the only proven economic system out there that really encourages innovation, 
that encourages progress. And, and I don't want to sound like Gordon Gecko's parrot or be somebody that's sitting here toting, you know, Republican values because I really don't believe in those. And I do believe in a social, you know, society that has, you know, health care for all. And I do believe in, a, in an education system that, you know, brings people up and allows for mobility. But in a capitalist society where people are greedy, there's a huge need for that because it weeds shit out. It allows us to compete. It allows us to get ahead. It allows you, Eddie, who works seven days a week to go get a 50-inch TV if you wanted it because you fucking earned it. And somebody that's going to wake up every day, smoke a little bit of pot, and then roll over again and not get out of bed. They deserve a 15-inch TV, too? Well, I think it is. Greed is almost like this motivator in society. And it's why I, I said this before, which is, like, I, I want capitalism to work for our democracy. I don't want our democracy to work for capitalism. And part right. of capitalism is this element of greed and this individualistic motivation that we have to make money and have nice things. And I think that is a great engine for our economy and our society. But it is not the way our society should necessarily be formed. Democracy is this social system that we can all take part in. And I have a, like a, a communal vision of what we want to live. One, one great example is I remember Bank of America was robo-signing foreclosure letters. That means we have robots sign automatically hundreds and hundreds and thousands of these foreclosure letters not knowing. And they were sending them to, to pregnant women, right? And these women – because they God. missed a couple payments. And so what happened? Our Congress, they've done terribly this uh, the past two terms. But the one thing they did, they said, hey, you know what? That's not right. We can't be putting pregnant women out on the street because they missed one payment. This is There needs to be a human element here. So that is an element of where our democracy tells capitalism, hey, you work for us. We don't work for you. And that's what I think the, the brighter side, at least for me, is on this. Yeah. And, you know, so that's one of the times, you know, they were doing that. There was a soldier's wife. It was like a GI, a guy that was like fighting in Afghanistan. And fucking Bank America sends a foreclosure letter to his pregnant wife while he's away fighting for the country. And they're like, get the fuck out of your house. God damn it, man. It's yeah, the most get the I fuck out of your house. Hate, <laughs> I hate Bank of America really bad. <laughs> I was met Bank Brian Moynihan. That was Moynihan, yeah. Yeah, that piece of shit. Yeah, he picked up after Ken Lewis. So, yeah, I mean, if that's a positive takeaway, we greed encourages entrepreneurship. Greed encourages calculated risk-taking. Yep. Greed weeds out people that aren't going to push and make society better that just want to necessarily live off of society. And you got to contribute. Yes. You know, you got to have your role and you got to be held accountable. And I think that putting a capitalist system in place is one of the better systems. And we've seen over the last hundred years, the last century, multiple governments try to establish this, quote, utopian. I mean, look at Cuba. You know, this 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 uprising from the farmers, the villagers looking in at, you know, the elite and then overthrowing the elite and saying, we're the farmers, we're the populace, we're the polypure, you know, we're the we're the proletariat, excuse me. And we're going to form and we're all going to share equally. Fuck that. Fifty years later, nothing happened. The place is stagnant. You know, they had no growth. There was nothing encouraged. Raul Castro and uh, Fidel Castro are sitting in, you know, $20 million houses running an empire. You do the same thing with North Korea. You do the same thing with the elite that took over China in 1948. You do the same thing with the oligarchs in Russia. I mean, anytime you have one of those systems where some dickhead claims to assert himself and then I'm going to spread the money down. He gets greedy and keeps it for himself and lets everybody else suffer. And that's just how that shit works. That's how it works. Yeah. Goddamn. It sounds like you're talking about a guy running for president right now as well. 
Yeah, you guys want to talk about Donald Trump? Oh, no. (laughs) I think we're going to wrap up this episode. That's a whole other can of worms, man. Maybe another time we'll get you back on the horn. I think we're due for another talk on this fucking cocksucker. Yeah. But for now, I want to thank you so much, Dave, for shining a light and letting us know what's going on. You're the man. Uh, Is there anything you want to plug? Do you have a Twitter or... No. What about, uh, your, what, about your, but what about your public case number? If anyone wants to look, <laughs> just uh, just Google my name and click on all the positive shit. <laughs> How about that? Yeah, help, help me get some likes for uh, something positive, and don't click on the negative shit. I want to push that crap away because they really did try to ruin my reputation. You know, they didn't make a press release when they let me go. But they made every single press release. I felt like the Godfather when he's like, I hope you, you know, vehemently rehabilitate my reputation in the same fashion that you besmirched it. You know, like when Al Pacino sits there there before Congress, you know, they really besmirched the shit out of me. And, you know, nobody stepped up to say, whoops, our bad publicly. Whoops, we should have been going after mortgage fraud. But instead, we invented a false bullshit case in insider trading against this one guy who, yes, was making a lot of money who, yes, was super young, who may or may not have earned it or deserved it. But, you know, I didn't deserve to be a martyr and drug through the mud when they knew full well that I didn't and could not have done anything illegal. And I never did. And I always, you know, I tried to maintain that. And I just, I was, I got wrapped up in that system and it was ugly. But I want to thank you guys for allowing me to finally unveil myself. Yes. And, uh, yeah, pastrami is, is, is in fact, Dave Weissups. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to go ahead and help us uh, press the positive angle of David Weisshaus, we'll take memes, pictures, saying, I love David Weisshaus, David Weisshaus for president. He's a good man, and we'll keep it positive, and we'll start spreading him around the internet to make your name a fucking wonderful name that it already is in our hearts and, and will be now in the rest of America's. Thank you, guys. Thank you for always having me on the show. I really appreciate you, Eddie. I love you, John. Love you to death. See buddy. you, guys. I'll talk to uh, you. Thanks, Dave. All right, man. Take it easy, guys. Later. Well, that was fucking interesting. Oh, yeah. I love it. Mr. Pastrami, always welcome. So delicious. So insightful. David Weisshaus. Let's make life better for that man. He do, He's put his time in. He's earned it. God bless him. Mm. I love him so much oldest friend I've ever had. Oh, he's very nice. He's we got kind when, eyes, like a golden retriever. We met when I was five, and he was six. Oh. You believe that? Now, you know, it's 30 fucking years soon. Holy shit. I've known that guy. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I'm an old fucker. <laughs> anyway, what do you think? When are some times that you've been greedy, Amber, and it has really uh, turned out to be a, a successful thing? Um. Well... An example, just off the top of my head, I was at the park the other day. I was on a lot of mushrooms Mm -hmm. uh, playing with Play-Doh because that's what you do. And these two children just came up to me and I was like, what is happening? And uh, they wanted my Play-Doh. And I was like, no, 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 you can't have it. Yeah. Yeah, you can't have it. And then I let them play with it a little bit and they wanted to take it and like put it in their mouth. I was like, you can't do that. No, no, no. How old were they? They were like one. Oh, they don't know anyway. They don't know. So I just took it away. I took it away from these children. They started crying a little bit. And then I just did peekaboo with this weird mask I made. And they were freaked out, so they it's ran away. It's not that greedy. You gave them a peekaboo. You let them touch it. Yeah. That's not that bad. And then you fucking taught them a goddamn lesson. Just don't walk up to people and take something? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes I get a little greedy around uh, food. Ooh. Just now. I mean, 
we almost didn't get this recorded because I was cheating on our diet and uh, eating crawfish. So much crawfish. Somebody came up to me and they're like, Amber, you said, don't talk to me. I'm eating. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember me saying that, but I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we I think we all can believe that greed might be uh, the key to uh, a lot of successful ventures and a lot of people who have uh, made it far in this world. And, you know, some of the greatest people ever, you know, we wouldn't uh, know who they were if it wasn't for greed. Yeah. You know, Bill Murray, you know, you could say, uh, who name a person, name a successful person. Um, Who's your favorite successful person, Megan? Donald Trump. Ugh, he's your favorite <laughs> successful person? That's goddamn evil. Well, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, no, he, um, but he's successful. He's, he's successful. making it and it's all out of greed. I mean, you gotta, you, you, you show the, shows the fruits of, uh, that goddamn energy. That... What did he call uh, Canadians on Twitter? He called them snow Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was it's so funny. And then he said, I wonder why there aren't any Japanese feminists. And I saw, oh, they hunt whales. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, well, here's the future President Trump. <laughs> and uh, I think we're going to take it out with a great song about greed, uh, more about money. It's called Money. It's by Pink Floyd. It's off Dark Side of the Moon. If you never heard it, then fucking just, I don't know. Don't even try to get into music. <laughs> we, we love you guys. We love you. Adios. It's a gas. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.